My name is Nicholas Haskins, and I'd like a moment of your time to tell you about the fifth annual live stream for the cure. To do that, I brought along two people whom I couldn't do this event without, Gerald Morris and Dan Brennick. Over the past four years, the live stream for the cure has raised over $30,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. That contribution is helping to fund research into cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This year, we're aiming for our biggest goal yet as we try to raise $15,000 in 50 hours on the air. Tune in May 19th through the 23rd as we're joined live by podcasters and content creators from around the world. With your help, we can continue the fight for a future immune to cancer. Together, we can make a difference. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. Welcome back to another episode drop on the Jury Room Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin, and today's episode comes from across the pond. comes from a true crime podcast, Stolen From Me by Lindsay. It's a great podcast for those of you who listen. Make sure you go and show her some support. Go leave Lindsay a review. She does a great job covering the cases that she does. And if you haven't heard her, well, now you have. Make sure you go follow, like, subscribe. Show her some love. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, turn on all notifications for everything happening here at the Jury Room Podcast. Don't forget to go check out the Oracle Network. Make sure you check out the podcast and the trailer that I include before this episode. Don't forget you can support the show on Patreon, buy me a coffee. If that doesn't work, you can always go leave reviews on Apple Podcasts, Audible, and Podchaser. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know what I can do for you. Don't forget to reach out for stickers. I've got a ton of them. I'd be happy to send some your way. Again, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Victimology. The study of the victims of crime and the psychological effects on them. Join me, Melissa Lee, a criminal justice student, as we discuss various true crime content and victim stories, oftentimes with their loved ones and advocates. My cousin, Christina Nelson, was a victim of the Lewis Park Valley serial killer. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, this is probably his first victim. So we're looking at 54 years of of him being active. I can almost 100% assure you that law enforcement would have put it out there already. If they knew who it was and they were able to share it with public, they would tell us. There was a story on the news about a woman they had found 
her body and fit her description. That doesn't ring true to me, but what I do think here in this specific case, again, it goes back to the conversation you and I had earlier. It's it's the minute I walk outside of the prison doors where it like kind of like all hits me. Like it really just, what the hell did I just hear? What right. Happened? Like right. it kind of all, you know, sinks in finally. Victimology is available on all podcast platforms. Hello and welcome back to Stolen From Me by Lindsay. Now this week's episode come with the same usual listener discretion and all the links will be in the description box below. Now we are discussing Kellyanne Bates and this is a truly horrendous crime. She was a young girl that was groomed from the age of 14 and lured into a domestic violence relationship and she was tortured and murdered. Now, if this is triggering to you, I highly suggest you check out another one of my episodes or videos on YouTube. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, there is a promo at the end of my episode today, and that is from Once Upon a Nightmare. It's a true crime obsessed podcast that also talks about horror movies. Please jump on over to all your favorite podcast platforms and give uh, a five star like and review. Thank you so much, and let's just jump into today's episode. On the 16th of April 1996, a man walks into his local police station and reports an accidental drowning of his girlfriend in the bath. Kellyanne Bates was born on the 18th of May 1978. As a child growing up, Kelly was described as mature, bubbly and a loving girl. She loved sports and, in particular, hockey was her favourite game. Margaret said Kelly was always drawn to older people. She always just felt comfortable around them. Kelly grew up in a loving, supportive household. Her parents, Margaret and Tommy Bates, had one rule for their kids growing up, and that was, if one parent said no, then they both said no. Margaret tried her best to instil confidence into her children. She remembers having very little confidence as a child and she didn't want her own children to feel that way. Kelly was babysitting round a mate's house one night when she was 14 years old. This is where she met a man called Dave Smith. He was 32 and from the minute he saw Kelly, he began an unhealthy interest in her. It's from that day on he started grooming her and he'd done so over the next two years. Kelly told her parents that she had a boyfriend. She didn't actually tell them the ins and outs of this boyfriend and relationship. She just said that she actually had a boyfriend. She knew they wouldn't be happy and she didn't want them stopping her from seeing him. So she waited. It would be around two years later when Kelly introduced her parents to her boyfriend. Margaret remembers that day well. Margaret came home from work and Kelly, then 16, was waiting for her at home. Walking down the hallway was Kelly's boyfriend, Dave Smith. As Margaret focused on him a little bit more clearly, she noticed something 
that made her hairs on the back of her neck stand on end. She saw he was a lot older than Kelly, more like her dad's age. In fact, Tommy, Kelly's dad, said that Dave was actually a year older than him. Margaret recalls when she looked at him, she saw a kitchen knife on the counter and for a split second, she wanted to pick it up and stab him in the back. This is a decision she would later regret. Margaret was horrified by their relationship. She made it clear to Kelly, this isn't right or going to work at all, but Kelly didn't listen. So Margaret asked around town if anyone knew Dave Smith and he was 32, but no one knew him or heard of him at all. But Dave Smith wasn't Dave Smith at all. In fact, Dave Smith was James Smith and he wasn't 32 years old. He was actually 48 years old and he was unemployed. James, he didn't smoke and he didn't drink. But what he did do was inflict domestic violence on every wife slash girlfriend he ever had. He'd been married before for 10 years. She left James because he was so violent and she just couldn't take any more. He then aimed for a younger girl, aged 20. This lady was with him for two years. He beat the hell out of her. And even when she was pregnant with his child, James tried to drown her in the bath. After this relationship, James went even younger and met a 15-year-old girl. He beat her too and even held her under the kitchen sink to try and drown her. Then James met Kelly. She was babysitting and she was 14 years old. Margaret and Tommy became increasingly worried about their daughter. Kelly was 16 and technically allowed to move out if she wanted to. And they really just couldn't stop her because in the UK you can move out. Now Kelly would often go off for days at a time and stay around James Smith's house. She would often spend the weekend around there. When Kelly left Smith's house to go back home to her mum's, he would call Margaret and let her know that Kelly was on her way home. But soon as Kelly was off the bus and walked in the front door of her mum's house, the phone would go again, checking up on Kelly to make sure that she did actually go home and she didn't go anywhere else or see anyone else. Margaret calls saying to Tommy, she finds Smith kind of creepy and she doesn't feel comfortable the way he's always checking up on Kelly. Margaret brought her up to be independent. Kelly and Smith's relationship was clearly having an emotional effect on Kelly. Margaret recalls her daughter neglected herself. She stopped washing. She wore baggy clothes, all black. And she no longer was a happy, bubbly daughter that they knew. She would just lay on the sofa all the time and not move or talk. Margaret told Kelly she she just couldn't stand it anymore. She told Kelly that if she couldn't live by her rules and she didn't tell her where she was, you know, if she was still young, then 
she had to leave, she couldn't come back in the house. Now, Margaret was at her wit's end and she really didn't know what to do. She was hoping to call Kelly's bluff and so Kelly would say, no, mum, and stay home. And she just didn't know what to do. She she didn't want to push Kelly, so she didn't want to push her away to Smith because she was always frightened of losing her. But this just backfired in Margaret's face as one day when she arrived home, she noticed Kelly was in her bedroom. So she went upstairs to see her and Kelly had her back facing her mum and she was packing all of her clothes in a bag. Margaret said, what are you doing? Where are you going? Kelly replied, you said I had to move out if I ever did it again. Margaret said, no, no, you don't have to go anywhere, Kelly. Then Kelly faced her mum. Margaret said she'd never seen anything like it in her life. Kelly's face on one side was completely bruised. Margaret said, what has happened, Kelly? Kelly went on to explain that she'd been jumped at the bus stop by a group of girls, but then later changed her story and said that an old couple found her laying on the floor unconscious and took her back to their house. But Margaret just didn't believe any of this and she challenged Kelly, but Kelly stuck to her story. Kelly left her mum's house and went to James Smith's house. She would go back to her mum's house, but this would soon come to an end, as every time she would go back to her mum's, she would lie to her, and she would turn up at her mum's house with a different bruise, a different mark, a different bite mark, and she always seemed to have a different excuse. Margaret felt helpless. She just wanted her daughter to stay there. Just once, just tell her what happened. Just tell her the truth and she'll help her. Just tell her. But Kelly stuck to her stories every time. Margaret and Tommy did go round Smith's house once. Kelly was sitting on the sofa and didn't really speak. Margaret noticed a large hole in the floor. But Smith, he said that due to a gas leak, it had developed into a massive hole and it's got to be fixed. Now, Tommy and Margaret later believed this is actually where Smith kept Kelly inside that hole. Now, Margaret didn't just take what her daughter said and didn't help at all. She did actually report all this all of every single bruise Kelly had. She reported it to the domestic violence unit. She went to CPS. She went to the police and she asked for help. The domestic violence unit advised Margaret to make an appointment with Kelly's doctors in Kelly's name. Go speak to her doctor and tell her all about the abuse or suspected abuse then. This way, if Kelly would ever go to the doctors, it would then be on file and then the doctor could then step in and help. Margaret did all this. Margaret hadn't any proof whatsoever it was Smith, her and her daughter, so the police couldn't do anything. As far as they were concerned, Kelly was old enough for a relationship and she was old enough to make her own mind up. Now, if Kelly reported any of her abuse to the police, 
then they could have got involved and they would have helped her. But this never happened. Kelly went round her mum's for the last time. Margaret said, What's that on your arm? Kelly casually said, Oh mum, I was running and then I tripped and I caught my arm on a fence and it cut me. Margaret said, No it didn't Kelly, it's clearly a bite mark. But Kelly insisted, It wasn't a bite mark. Margaret begged Kelly and pleaded with her, Please leave Smith. Please stay home, stay with me and I'll keep you safe. But Smith controlled Kelly's every single move. you got to remember that he was grooming her from the age of 14, so Kelly was never going to stay with her mum. Now, Kelly told her mum that she can't come round anymore. She's got a job and is working awkward hours and she wouldn't have any time to see her. And it's just easier if she stayed at her boyfriend's house because it's closer to her job. Now, Margaret said that she did actually believe Kelly did have a job and she really, she obviously regret that now. Although Margaret did try to see Kelly and she'd go around Smith's house, but she couldn't ever see her. And on Mother's Day, she did receive a card, but it wasn't written in her own daughter's writing and it didn't even have a daughter's name in it. Margaret tried everything she could to get her daughter back other than actually going around there and physically removing Kelly herself. They would have done this, I guess, but I think they always thought that Kelly would just run closer to Smith and they'd lose her forever. The last time Margaret spoke to her daughter Kelly was in March, telling her off because she actually missed a dentist appointment. Smith was now in full control of Kelly and he's now going to show her how dangerous he really is. On the 16th of April, 1996, Smith goes into a police station, tells the officers Kelly had accidentally drowned in the bath. Margaret and Tommy had a knock on the door. Tommy opened the door and two police officers stood there. They asked to come in. They then broke the devastating news. Kelly was dead. Their whole world just died right there and then. They asked to see Kelly. Margaret and Tommy went to see Kelly. Margaret said that Kelly had lost a dramatic amount of weight since she last saw her about four weeks ago. Now, they wanted to know what happened to Kelly. They wanted answers. Although I don't think anyone could fully prepare themselves for what they were about to be told. Kelly had been held prisoner by James Smith. She'd been stabbed several times all over her body, including inside her mouth. She'd been tied up to the radiator by her own hair. She had over 150 separate injuries. This poor girl had been tortured beyond belief. Margaret feels increasingly guilty for not saving Kelly. But she did do everything she believed was right. Kelly was tortured for three weeks. She was burnt, starved, scalped, stabbed, tied up. 
and her eyes were gouged out. Kelly's funeral. Margaret was told by the funeral parlour that they were going to be able to make Kelly look like she was sleeping, just like they remember. Monday, Kelly arrived at the funeral home. Tuesday, Margaret got a visit from the funeral home, saying they haven't ever seen anything like it before, but they would do their best. Kelly's funeral was the day before her 18th birthday on the 17th of May, 1996. Everyone in the area showed up to her funeral and paid respects to Kelly. Margaret requested that the vicar wouldn't mention forgiveness in the service. The trial. James Smith appeared in Manchester Crown Court. He denies the murder. He says it wasn't his fault. He goes on to say Kelly put him through hell. She drove him to kill her. But the jury saw straight through him. The pathologist who examined Kelly's body found 150 separate injuries, which would be inflicted over a period of four weeks. Stating that Kelly had been starved, she'd lost 20 kilograms of her weight. She had no water for days before her death. She had a fractured arm. Kelly had been stabbed all over her body, including her face, her arms, her legs, inside of her mouth and inside of her eyes. James had gouged Kelly's eyes out between five days and three weeks before her death. He stabbed Kelly inside the eye socket while she was still alive. Kelly had burn marks from a hot iron, strangled and been partly scalped. He mutilated her eyes, her ears, her nose, her eyebrows, her mouth, her lips and her genitals. He used scissors, knives, shears from the garden and a fork. He beat Kelly. He tied her up. He scolded her. Arms and her buttocks and her hands and her feet were crushed and her knees were smashed in so she couldn't run away. Then he drowned Kelly in the bath. James's ex-wife and ex-girlfriends all took the stand to explain how abusive he really is in a relationship. The jury took one hour to find 49-year-old James Smith guilty of Kelly's murder. On the 19th of November 1997, James Smith was found guilty of the murder of Kelly Ann Bates. He was sentenced to life, but was given a minimum of 20 years. Now, this is the first case in Manchester Crown Court that the jury was all offered counselling. Every single one of them accepted this counselling because after seeing the autopsy photos of Kelly, they were so traumatised that they would need this counselling. William Lawler, I hope I'm saying that right, the Home Office pathologist, had explained that Kelly's body 
in his career, he has examined over 600 victims of homicide, but he's never come across injuries so extensive. Tommy said James Smith has taken their life away. Margaret is a shadow of her former self and so is Tommy. They think of their daughter as soon as they wake up and as soon as they go to bed. Kelly's parents did everything they legally could to protect their daughter. Things were different back in 1996. As for grooming, it's now different even more so, is more online, on social media, PlayStation, Xbox, you name it. Anywhere that kids love to play, you'll find these people. I'll leave the links below where you can sign a campaign. Margaret sadly passed away in hospital at the age of 65 due to an illness. I really hope it was possible that her and Kelly are together now. Claire's law give any member of the public the right to ask the police if their partners may pose a risk to them. Under Claire's law, a member of the public can make an inquiry into their partner or close friend or family member. Domestic violence, it doesn't matter what age you are, what gender you are, race or religion. It doesn't discriminate in any way. It just possibly will kill you. Now, the crime survey for England and Wales shows that an estimated 2.3 million adults aged 16 to 74 experience abuse in the last year. 1.6 million were women and 757,000 were men. I'll leave all the links below. Now, the National Statistics Office said that 4.2% of men and 7.9% of women suffer from domestic violence abuse in England and in Wales. Now, this equates to around about 685,000 male victims and 1.3 million women. Murders what are related to domestic violence are up at an all-time high over the last five years. Now, if you listen to my podcast and enjoy them, please leave me a five-star rating review and I'll look forward to seeing you next week. Goodbye. Hello, this is Lorraine, your host from Once Upon a Nightmare. Every Tuesday, I like to delve into the horrors of the world, be it fiction or real. I've had a healthy and what some will call a strange obsession with true crime and horror movies for well over 30 years now. So if those two topics pique your interest, then please go check out Once Upon a Nightmare podcast. It is available on multiple platforms. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.